Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Have you ever made a decision that brought you a great amount of anxiety? One of those decisions that you knew was a bonehead move when you knew it, when you made it, and it turned out to be exactly as bad as you thought it was going to be. It was 2015, and I was living in Germany with my family, and I was leaving work, and I turned on the vehicle, and it said, distance to empty, 40 miles. Well, that's okay. I only got 30 miles to get home. That's okay. I got 10 miles surplus. Things should be okay. So I start driving home. I was on a conference call for most of the way, so I wasn't paying attention. There was some traffic jams and some congestion and slowdowns and some stops, and uh, I wasn't paying attention to what the cluster was saying. And so when I finally ended the conference call and I looked down at my cluster, I realized I was in trouble. Distance to empty, 10 miles. Distance home, 10 miles. Oh, man. That's when you start breaking into a cold sweat, right? And you start praying. Oh, Lord, just get me home. And then I'm thinking, that may not be enough. And, you know, you've got to understand, Germany's not like America, where we have gas stations at every corner. You can all get off at any exit, almost any exit, and there's a gas station somewhere. In Germany, you've got to plan these out a, a way ahead of time. And so I typed in, into fuel station to the navigation system. I found one eight miles away. Yeah, that'll, that'll do. Eight miles away. That's the closest one. I hit start to get me to that navigate to that get to that gas station. No sooner did I hit start, I come to a complete stop. There's another traffic congestion. And now I've turned off the AC, I've turned off the radio, I've turned off everything. And now I'm sweating and I'm praying, oh Lord, just get me to the gas station. Just blow it over, Lord. Just blow me over. Long story short, I finally get to the, the exit ramp that gets me to the gas station, and I get to the red light. I just got to turn left 50 yards and turn right into the, into the fuel station. I look down at the cluster. It says, distance to empty, zero. Oh, Lord, just 50 yards, Lord. It's a left and a right. Can you just kind of... Just blow, just move me, shoot me. I wasn't sure what was going to happen when I hit that accelerator. That light turned green and I just gently tweaked it. And the car moved. Praise God. All right, Lord, 50 yards. Here we go. And the car picked up speed and I think I just coasted into that fuel station on vapor. You, you ever been there? You ever do that? Yeah, some of you know exactly. That was a bonehead move. Never do that again. Always wondering, am I going to get to that gas station? Or am I ever going to get home? Am I ever going to make it to the end? Perhaps in our Christian life, we're entering a season of happy Thanksgiving and happy holidays and Merry Christmas, but there's nothing happy and nothing merry about our lives, that there's more suffering and more pain and more difficulty in our lives than we know how to handle. And perhaps we're wondering this morning, am I ever going to make it to the end? Am I ever going to make it home? Perhaps it's a season of trouble so deep that perhaps there's some doubt that set in, some uncertainty that set in and our faith has been shaken and we're wondering, God, where are you? Am I ever going to make it to the end? 
We're in a series this morning in Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. We're going to continue talking about all the blessings that the, the Spirit brings to those of us who are in Jesus Christ. And we've been looking over the many weeks now over the blessings one after the other after the other. The blessings that you and I have in Jesus Christ. And the biggest blessing is the Spirit that dwells within us and all of those wonderful blessings that come with the presence of the Spirit in our hearts. And this morning, in order to address the question, will we ever get home? Will we ever get to the end? The Apostle Paul is going to unveil the full, full character of God, the full wonders of who God is, and encourage our faith and strengthen our faith and give us hope to hold on. Because the main point I want to leave with you is that God in all that he is has done all that we need to get us all the way home. That God in all that he is has done all that we need to get us all the way home, church. Aren't you glad for a God that does that? Amen. God is a God that knows how to get us home. And that should strengthen our faith and that should encourage us and that should help us hold on just a little longer. Because God in all that he is is working in our lives to get us all the way home. I want to show you three ways in which God is doing that in our lives through this passage in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 30. And the first is that our prayers are strengthened by the Spirit. Our prayers are strengthened by the Spirit. Notice verse number 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul declares here that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The word help there is a word that means that the Spirit comes alongside of us and helps bear our burdens. A helper is someone who helps bear our burdens. And the reason we need help bearing our burden, according to the Apostle Paul, is because we're weak. Now, Paul, that's not a very nice thing to say. We're not weak. We're strong. We don't like to be weak in anything. We're macho people, right? We're Americans. We pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. Amen? Amen? I don't want, let me just speak myself. I don't want to be weak. But you know, the truth is, just when I think I've got it all together and everything under control, God brings something into my life that knocks me off my feet, and all of a sudden, I realize I'm not as invincible as I once thought. And so we need the Spirit of God to come alongside of us and help us and to shoulder our burden. And notice what Paul says. He says that the Spirit who dwells in us prays for us. That's how he helps us. He prays for us. Sometimes there's so many things that happen in our life beyond our control, beyond our strength, beyond anything that we had ever hoped or dreamed or or even in our worst dreams ever thought would ever happen. There isn't a class we could have ever taken that would have prepared us for some of the things that have happened in our lives. Church, you know what I'm talking about, where it's been so bad, so much, too much, and we're left wondering, Lord, what's going on? And when we try to pray, nothing comes out. Have you ever been there? And the only thing that can come out is, oh, God. The Bible here says that the Spirit is groaning within us with groans that are too deep for words. It was 1999. My wife, Blessie, and I were having our very first baby. It was a beautiful November day. The sun was shining. It was brisk, but beautiful. 
And we went to the hospital, the contractions had started, and, and she was pushing, and, and it was, I mean, if it was a textbook pregnancy, this was it. Like, she was checking off all the boxes, thinking, oh, the baby's going to come, it's going to be exciting. But hours went by, no baby. Some more hours went by, still no baby. She's pushing, she's exhausted, she's wiped out. And then you know that everything's not quite right when more doctors and more nurses come in and they set up more monitors, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, there's all kinds of people and all kinds of things being monitored. And out of the snippets of conversation, I can gather that the baby is stuck. Lord, wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen. You know, she starts pushing and baby's supposed to come out. That's the way it's supposed to work. What do you mean she's stuck? And all of a sudden, the nurse says, doctor, the baby's heart rate is dropping. And the doctor looks at the monitors and looks at the nurse and says, prep her for emergency C-section. Wait, wait, Lord, whoa, 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 what do you mean C-section? What do you mean, sir, emergency? Wait, this isn't in the plan. And all of a sudden, the room bursts into motion and they start wheeling her out and, and I start to follow and they say, no, 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 Mr. Philip, you sit right here. We'll come get you when we're ready. And there I sat in that hallway on that bench all alone, there was nothing I could do. What was a textbook pregnancy all of a sudden became an emergency C-section? And I put my, hand, my face in my hands and I tried to pray and the only thing that came out was, oh Lord, have mercy. Have you been there? where there's nothing you can do. It's out of your control. There's no strength. There's no thing. There's no decision you can make. The things are happening beyond your control. And the only thing that comes out is, oh God, have mercy. And the Bible says that when we don't know how to pray, the only thing that comes out is a grunt or a groan or, oh Lord, have mercy. Paul says, that's enough. That's enough because God has placed the Holy Spirit into our hearts and when you and I can't pray and when things are out of control and everything is a mess and things are way gone beyond anything you have ever dreamed, there's a person inside your heart praying for you and praying for me that God is praying to God on behalf of the children of God because he knows the will of God and he's praying for you and me. Aren't you glad for a spirit that prays for you and prays for me? And you and I don't know how to pray. He stands in the gap. He stands where we cannot stand. And he prays for us. In the midst of all of that pain and all of that suffering and all of the issues that come in, in, into our life, the Spirit walks right in and he prays for you and me with groanings too deep for words. If you notice, in verse number 27, Paul says that the Spirit prays for us properly. He prays for us properly. You know, we, we already sang that our, we serve a triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that our God is three in one, and this, this God exists perfectly, and all the members of the Trinity are in perfect communion with one another. And so when the Spirit prays, he's praying according to the will of God. That means that sometimes he's not praying the same prayers you and I are praying. You understand what I'm saying? So let me give you an example. Perhaps I'm praying, Lord, Lord, give me a new job. 
Lord, I need a new job. For a whole bunch of reasons, here they are. I need a new job. The Spirit, on the other hand, might be praying something completely different. Here's what the Spirit could be praying. Father, Abe thinks he needs a new job. But Father, you and I both know that's not what he needs. What he needs and what you want from him is to depend entirely on you. So would you give him a big dose of patience to hang on, to endure, and bring some Christian brothers and sisters to encourage him along the way? Let me ask you, church, whose prayer do you think God's going to answer? Not mine, but the Spirit, because the Spirit knows what the will of the Father is, and because that communion is perfect, and because the Spirit knows me so well, God is going to answer the Spirit's prayer. I want a new job, God, but the Spirit knows better. And God's going to answer the prayer of the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying in verse number 27, and that's really good news for us. You see, even though we might pray incorrectly, the Spirit is praying correctly to the Father, praying on behalf of us, praying according to the will of God. And in the end, what happens is actually for better and for good. And that's what happens when the Spirit prays for us. He puts into words and into groans things we would never think of praying. He prays. He strengthens. He redirects. He energizes our prayer. I'm so thankful for a God who loves me so much to put a spirit in my heart that knows the will of God, that prays even when I cannot pray. The second way that God gets us all the way home is that our circumstances are synergized for our good. Our circumstances are synergized for our good. Notice verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. How many of you have memorized this verse? Okay, the rest of you, you, you need to memorize this verse. Outside of John 3.16, this is the most memorized, most quoted, most favorite verse, one of the most favorite verses in all of Scripture. And it's for obvious reasons. And Paul starts this verse with three words, and we know. Not we hope so, not we think so, not a maybe kind of, sort of way, but we know with absolute certainty, with absolute assurance, and we know. And what is it we know, church? That all things work together for... You don't know the verse? Let's try that again. All things work together for... <coughs> all things work together for good. All things. The word all means... But you don't like that word. You want all and I want all to mean a subset of the things in my life. But the word all in Greek means all. It's all inclusive. It means everything. It includes everything that happens in our life. There are no limitations, no stipulations, nothing. It means everything, every high and every low, every pain and every pleasure, everything that happens in our life, all things work together for good. All things. I wish he hadn't said it so comprehensively. (laughs) Because you know what it isn't saying? It isn't saying that everything is good. He isn't saying that bad things won't happen. He isn't saying that some things or most things are going to turn out okay. He says all things are working together for 
work together comes from a phrase in Greek from which we get our word synergy. Synergy means the interaction of and cooperation of two or more things to make something better. It's like if you're in the kitchen and you're, you're baking cake. You might take some eggs and some Crisco and some sugar and, um, help me out church, and some flour and some, what else goes in there? Baking soda and some a salt and you gotta put cocoa powder in because it's gotta be a chocolate cake, right? Right, and what do you do? You, you mix that all together and you pour it into a pan and you stick it in the oven and you bake it at just the right temperature for just the right amount of time and what comes out? Are you sure? <laughs> some of you aren't sure. <clears throat> you should try it. Out comes cake. How many of you would ever think of taking a handful of Crisco and just downing it? Not many of you. Or how many of you would hold up a cup of flour and say, ha ha, and just, just down that baby? But a slice of chocolate cake? Yes, please. Can I have another? <laughs> Why? You see, those other ingredients all by themselves, they're not so good by themselves. You know what I mean? They don't taste good by themselves. But when you mix them in the right combination, in the right way, for the right amount of time, and you bake it just at the right setting for the right amount of time, out comes something beautiful, something tasty, something delicious. You see, God is in God, his kitchen, and he's got all these ingredients at his disposal. Many of them, you look and go, that's good, and, and that's good, and Lord, I want a whole heap of that. But then there's some stuff in his kitchen, that you go, I don't think that's any good, God. I, I don't want any of that. And, but you know what God is doing? He is chopping and he is adding and he is adding a touch of this and a tad of that and he's stirring all these things together and he's gonna pour it into a pan and he's gonna bake it in some heat and for just the right amount of time to bring something beautiful in your life and mine. My friends, all things work together for... Oh yeah, but all things don't feel good. All things don't feel good, do they? And yet, all things, according to Paul, work together for good. By the way, God does not define good like you and I define good. You and I define good by what makes us happy, what makes us feel good, our ease, our comfort, our prosperity, our health, right? That's how we define good. At least that's how I define good. But that's not the way God defines good. We're going to see how God defines ultimate good in the next verse. But all things work together for good. I could have chosen any number of stories from any one of you who know this verse and who've seen this verse in action. My own story, my own life story is a testimony to this. But I thought I would use the example, perhaps the greatest example of this verse is the story of the cross. I mean, what could be more horrible than killing God? And yet that's exactly what happened 2,000 years ago, isn't it? God the Son, perfect in splendor and majesty, left heaven behind and came down as the sinless, spotless, unblemished Son of God to live like you and me. And what did we do with him? Falsely accused, ridiculed, we beat him, we nailed him to a cross, we killed him. It was the most horrendous, horrible day in all of human history. And yet the apostle Peter, in Acts chapter 2, when he is preaching to that crowd, he says these words. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Friends, there's culpability to go around for all of us. 
It was wrong at every level. And yet God used that horrendous, horrible event for good, didn't he? Because it was because of the death of Jesus on the cross that we can say, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, because your stripes, I'm healed. Because your, your death, I live. The power of sin is broken, and we can live in freedom. We can live in fellowship with God because of that horrendous day. Amen? Amen. All things work together for good. Friends, that means that there is nothing ever wasted in your life. That no matter what's happening to you, no matter what sickness, no matter what pleasure, no matter how much heartache or headache, nothing is by accident in your life. Everything that is happening in your life is being orchestrated by a providential God who knows you, who loves you, who's working things together to bring something beautiful and something delicious out of your life. Many of you know Johnny Erickson Tata. Since the age of 26, she's been confined to a wheelchair as a quadriplegic because of a diving accident off the Chesapeake Bay. Several years ago, she was interviewed, and in that interview, they asked her the question, why does God allow suffering? I mean, she's been sitting in that wheelchair for decades, and they asked her, why does God allow suffering? You want to hear her answer? Here's what she said. She said, God uses For God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Friends, nothing in your life is ever wasted. Every tear, every headache, every heartache, every heartbreak, every sorrow, every pain. It's all being used by a sovereign God who is orchestrating all those events and all of those issues and all of those difficulties and all of those pleasures to create a beautiful symphony out of your life and mine. All things work together for... Do you believe that, church? All things. God is working and synergizing all circumstances for his glory and for our good. The third way God is going to help us get all the way home is that our future is secured for glory. Our future is secured for glory. Notice verse number 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. These verses have been called the golden chain of salvation because Paul uses five verbs, five verbs that talk about the total spectrum of salvation from eternity past to eternity future. Five verbs that are very specifically and logically arranged in these verses to show us what God has been doing to secure our future. And so Paul starts with the word foreknew. Those whom God foreknew. Many of us think that That word means that God, who is omniscient, meaning he knows everything, looked down the tunnel of time and he saw the decisions that you and I make and and would see the decision that who would choose him and who would not. And so those are the people he chose. But that's not what the word for new means. For new or know, to know in scripture is always relational. It's always bound up in love. It's always an intimate knowing. That means that the love has a component in the knowing. You cannot know somebody without love in a relationship. And so it's a better word. Instead of using foreknew, 
to use for loved. You see, God didn't choose me after I was born, and thank God he didn't choose me after I was born. He chose me before the foundation of the world. Not because of anything I have done, not because of my looks, thank God. Uh, He chose me because he loved me. In his providence, he looked at me and he said, I choose you and you and you and you and me. And he chose us before the foundation of the world. That's foreknew. And those whom he foreknew and foreloved, he predestined. The word predestined is made up of two parts. It's the word pre, which means before, and destined or destination. So if you put it together to decide beforehand the destination. How many of you ever think about going on vacation, just jump in the car and start driving? Okay, there are a couple of you. Okay, that's not me and not most sane people. We, most normal people, want to know where we're going. So at least we know what to pack. We have a destination in mind before we get in the car and start driving. And that's what this word means. When he says predestined, those whom he loved, he predestined. There's a destination and a destiny for those whom God has loved. And you know what that destiny is? The destiny is to be conformed to the image of his son. Remember I told you God's definition of good isn't the same as yours and mine? That's the definition of God's ultimate good for you and for me. You see, all the things that happen in life, all the ups and all the downs and all the pain and all the pleasure, all of it is being used to conform us to the ultimate good, which is to conform us, to shape us, to mold us, to melt us and make us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the highest and the best good that can ever happen in this life for you and me. Those whom he foreknew and loved, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those whom he predestined, Paul says, he called. Call is the moment when you hear the gospel and the sinner hears that gospel and the Holy Spirit is working in their life to bring about conviction of sin and to convince them that Jesus is in fact Lord and has died on the cross for their sins. And it's the moment where that sinner opens their heart to receive the free gift of the grace of God in their life. That's a call. Many of you might remember the time when you too heard the call of the Spirit, confessed your sins and received the gospel. That's the call. Those whom God foreloved, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called. And Paul says those whom he called, he justified. You and I have been talking about justification for several weeks now. Justification is where God declares you and me righteous or right before God. Those whom God loved, he predestined. And those he predestined, he called. And those when we stand before the righteous judge, God himself, when the cosmic gavel comes down, he declares us not guilty. Amen. Innocent. Not because of what you and I have done, but because of what he has done. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Amen. Amen. And because of Jesus, those of us who are called, we are justified. We have been declared right with God. And God applies the righteousness of Jesus Christ to our life. Those whom God foreloved, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those of us who are justified, we will be glorified. We've been talking about glorified last week, didn't we? 
that we are groaning in ourselves, waiting for the day when we will be glorified. But did you notice Paul in this verse uses the past tense verb? He says, it's already done. It's promised, it's finished, it's done. We're already glorified. How can Paul say that? I mean, I look at you, none of you are glorified. Trust me, I'm not glorified. But then how is it that Paul can say it with such assurance? Because God said it and it's done. And that's as far as it needs to go, church. Because what God says will happen. He says, those whom he foreloved, he predestined, those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, and those he justified will one day be glorified. And I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day when the skies will split open and that trumpet call will sound. And this body that went into the grave, perishable, mortal, full of sickness, full of tears, full of pain, full of sorrow, we're going to rise up. And we're going to rise up immortal, immutable. We're going to be just like Jesus. There's not going to be any sickness. There's not going to be any COVID. There's not going to be any wrinkles. There's not going to be any death anymore. There's not even going to be a temptation to sin because this body is going to be glorified. Church, I hope you're waiting for that day. I hope you're waiting for that day. That day is coming sooner than you expect. God is strengthening your prayers and mine through the Spirit who dwells in you. He is orchestrating all things in your life to conform you to the ultimate good, and that is the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And your future and mine is secured because He said so. God, in all that He is, has already done everything that we need to take us all the way home. I have to tell you the, how the story ends. I was chastised after the first service for not finishing the story I started with at the beginning. But that C-section went successful. And God gave us a wonderful little baby girl we named Stephanie. And next week she turns 22. <clears throat> Praise God. All things, the good, the bad, the ugly, work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Church, that should give us tremendous hope. Our faith should just be built up knowing God's got you and God's got me. God's got this. That no matter how awful this Thanksgiving might be, no matter how unmerry Christmas might be, God's got you. God's working things out. You can't see it. But he's orchestrating. He's synergizing. He's making those circumstances coming out to make you to look just like Jesus Christ. May your faith and your hope be built up. Perhaps you're here today and you stand outside of Christ. You've never surrendered yourself to the cross. But maybe God is working in your heart right now. Maybe he's convicting you of your sin. Maybe he's convincing you of the truth of who Jesus is and of the cross on which Jesus died. Friends, don't push back. Open the door. Let him in. Confess that you've broken his laws. Confess that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Confess that you've blown it. And say, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my savior. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you too will be foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and your future is secure. You will be glorified. I hope and pray that's you. There will be people at the front who would love to pray with you, 
would love to introduce Jesus to you. But for my brothers and sisters who are in Jesus Christ, may our faith never shake. May confusion never set in. He's got this. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And it's because of the cross we know that you can take the most horrendous and horrible thing that has ever happened and turn it into an ultimate good for us. Not because of anything we've done, not because we're worthy or had any merit, but you sovereignly chose to set your love upon us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for redeeming us. May your spirit continue to work in our hearts to convince us and to show us that you've got this, that you've done all that is needed to take us all the way home. And through this Christmas season, may we celebrate that and may we rejoice in that. May we share that and may we celebrate and worship you who are so worthy of our worship. We thank you, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.